This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora. Welcome to this very last show for 2022 to bookends, and we've had a marvellous year, haven't we, Ruth? Oh, amazing, amazing books, and I'm now looking forward to all the new ones. So, uh, don't they just, don't stop coming. They don't do. stop coming, no, so that's lovely, and um, i am decided that uh, somebody like James Norcliffe with his ghost story for teenagers uh, would be a, a delightful book for Christmas. And I've got another wonderful book for um, children and um, all ages, really, but I think directed mostly at younger audiences. It's called Sylvia and the Birds. It's a real-life story of a bird rescuer, and it's written by Joanna Emony and illustrated beautifully by Sarah Lang. It's a pleasure to have James Norcliffe back in the studio with uh, his wonderful novels for children and teenagers. Uh, he's been writing these books for about 20 years, haven't you? At least and 20 years, So yes. welcome to the programme. You're an award-winning poet, educator, editor and author. And I don't know how you keep doing it. So <laughs> they're so diverse and absolutely wonderful. And... Um, the Frog, Frog Prince was um, one of your only novels for adults because so I loved it. Yes, I loved yes, that, yes, and we talked yes, about that yes, we did too. Um, last year. So um, you've won Julius Vogel Awards and Fantasy Novel and shortlisted for the Leanza Esther Glenn Medal. It just goes on. And I think The Loblolly Boy um, was really acclaimed, wasn't it? Yes, um, that, that was a sort of a breakthrough all, book yes, in terms yes, of... Yes, yes, yes. Mm. And then it's there's too many. But this is called The Crate, mm. and it says on the cover, A Ghost Story. Mm. And I hadn't read one of your ghost stories before. Well, I actually haven't. <laughs> I haven't written any other <laughs> no, ghost stories. No. I, I, uh, oh, there was a book called um, Penguin Bay a few years ago, one of those very early books that touched on ghosts and it had a were they were they not sort of question about the, about the ghost element but um yeah but I thought it'd be fun to write a really really good ghost story and I'd, I'd had, had it in mind for a while and then the, the well, opportunity came yeah it's so out of I don't know how to describe <laughs> it and I'm not going to because you've got to read it um and you keep you keep the reader building, building, building to the last page almost mm, before mm. anything's really explained mm, mm. about more about ghosts. And and I guess people can suspend a belief, can't they? And and children especially? I'm sure they can. Mm. I mean, the whole of European, <laughs> European culture is full of folk stories, full of yes, ghosts and, yes, that's right. and things that go bump in the night. And, yes, yeah. going way back to Hans Christian Andersen <laughs> and, and all, of that, all yeah. those wonderful stories yeah. that um, I think my mother didn't feel they were suitable uh, or they were a bit scary for some of, some of them, you know, and I, I used to lap them up. Yes, and yeah. I know... Um, I'm not sure which age group, but I guess it depends on the child to mm. read this book. This book, um, yes, I, I, it is fairly scary. Um, yes, it is. I and, was scared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was quite scared. Um, 
But I think, I guess the age of the protagonist is probably where, where it's at, yes. around about 12, 13, 14, yes. or, that, or that thereabouts. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and let's talk about that, because the whole setting of the story in this little corner of somewhere in New Zealand, um, mm, is there such a place? As, yes, yes, it's a very real place to me. It's... Uh, it's uh, the lake is actually Lake Brunner. I don't think I'm oh, not really? na- name no. it up in anything. Mm. And the little town is based very much on Moana, uh, of course, which is that's just short of uh, mm. Stillwater on on the in the Grey Valley and between uh, between the road to Reefton and the road to Greymouth over uh, over Otera. Um, and I was quite familiar with that, uh, and it always had. Um, spooky memories. So yes. when I was hunting around for a setting for my story, it just seemed absolutely perfect. Um, yes, sir. There's, there's a backstory there, which is that um, I was born on on the coast. Uh, I came over to Christchurch when I was about seven, and the reason for that is that my my dad got TB uh, on the coast. Uh, he was going up and down the Grey River on a motorbike, uh, not the river, the, the, the road beside the river, uh, on a motorbike. And uh, I, whether that contributed to it or not, I don't know, but the doc said, you've got to get out of that climate. And he had he had nearly two years over in Christchurch on the sanatorium, which used to be up on Kashmir Hill. And my little sister, m- me and my mother, um, would come over regularly um, on the rail car in those days and uh, but the rail car always paused for a long time at at Moana station. I don't That's know whether right. another train coming the other yes. way or people had to get a, a cup of tea by that point. But and the lake was always just beyond, and it was always because it was morning. It was always quite spooky and, and misty, misty and mm. and, uh, and the dark trees and. <laughs> well, I think yeah, that's yeah. wonderful because I I couldn't quite pinpoint it, mm, mm. and now I can. Yes, in yes, retrospect, yes, and yeah. I'm going to read it again because <laughs> it was spooky mm. the atmosphere, and that started very much in the first chapter. That's right. The book's um, called the crate, and it all centres around mm. this crate that arrives um, to the, these yes. three, three teenagers mm. are on holiday, and their father's on call at the hospital, mm. and he has to go off. To work and um, and they attempted to open it. That's right. Yes. And of course yeah. they would open it, <laughs> even though he'd said, "Don't open it till I come home." Yes. Well, the lake and the river beside it, which is based on the Arnold River, um, became almost characters in their own right. Yes. And not just landscape sort of background, but almost a dynamic. And I really wanted to build that up as well with the crate. Um, that came. That idea came fairly shortly after I thought about a ghost story, because I, I love, I love mysterious parcels, and I think everybody does. Yes. I mean, Christmas time we always wrap our parcels, <laughs> and there's no practical reason to do that. But no. we, we do that because it builds on the mystery of a what's secret. inside mm. the parcel. So the mystery of what inside is inside the crate um, became a starting point for me, and uh, just loved loved it. And I love the idea of um, this rather bizarre delivery man and and the father who's desperate to get away because he's a doctor at a locum doing a locum at, mm. at the local hospital in Greymouth he he and this guy have to carry this big heavy crate <laughs> down to the holiday home um, and it's very very heavy uh, but later on when the, when the kids go out and they come back to it and are tempted as you said earlier to, to open it um, 
they suddenly realised that the crate is light. So whatever is in the crate, which was sealed, uh, is not there anymore. And that, that really builds into the... Oh, that was the, perfect. The, the intriguing uh, How could that puzzle. be? Yeah. So we are on yeah. the mystery straight away. That's right. Well, part of the fun for me in writing is to, is to think up mysteries and dilemmas and then try to work out a solution. So <laughs> I had this rather awkward problem, how to make it sort of real uh, and solve that problem of the heavy crate, light crate thing. And I, I found the answer in wingnuts. What are wingnuts? <laughs> wingnuts are those things you screw in. They've got two little butterfly wings, so you can twiddle them with your fingers, and you don't need a, you don't need a spanner. And I had never heard of them. <laughs> My father would be horrified because he thought he'd taught me all those things. But um, I'd never, I'd never seen them in a story before. Another <laughs> <laughs> first for me. I hope. <laughs> And that's what you're so good at, James. Mm-hmm. You you just um, bring in these things that we don't need to know too much yes, about yes, wingnuts, yes. but they do contribute to getting the place, getting mm-hmm. the crate mm-hmm. open, mm-hmm. don't they? Yeah. So we're not going to tell them very much more about that. But well, um, yeah. what what really intrigued me was the backstories of the older people in this village who had come back to live there. Um, and had lived there previously, mm, and mm. the kind of um, almost folklore um, stories of a young girl who had drowned, and um, Lily was one that character, mm. and those are things that um, they change over the years. The story quite often, don't yeah, they? But yes, they do. And um, I have a little sort of a private little museum, and in, and in, in, in the book that the kids. Um, when they're trying to work out what was happening to the to the district before they were even thought of, um, they get they get into this museum, and um, a lot of small towns have these places, and they're, they're quite intriguing because they're very very local. They often contain pictures of par previous sports teams and and wedding photos of all the locals and artifacts from the past, you know, valve radios and things like that uh, that people have donated. So. Um, I find them charming because you can actually build up a sort of a sense of what it must have been like in in those days. And uh, And that's an an added bonus to me in children's stories. Um, So it's all very believable um, as (laughs) we meet meet, um, Skip and her mother, Jessie, um, who believes... And, you know, she reads people's palms. Yes, and yes. so she's another sort of mystery adding to the story. Yes. And um, and there's Jack's the cousin and um, Amy and the narrator. Yes. Why did you choose a narrator? You could have written it all in the third person. I, I could have. Uh, I, I quite... I quite like the first person. I mean, it's, it's not, seems more immediate. To it me. is much more immediate, mm. and and he's right there. It, the difficulty with a with a first person storyteller and a tale such as this is you you have to stick to one narrative line all the time. You can't have mm. uh, something happening elsewhere that this mm. this particular storyteller doesn't know about. So you've got to plot that fairly carefully. Um, but it is fun, and I like trying to capture the voice, although the voice is <laughs> has People have very cruelly pointed out from time to time, uh, quite a long way away from me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've still got the magical touch mm, for this age mm, group. It's mm. it. Some children, perhaps 
10-year-olds might feel a bit scared um, in these days of anxiety. Some children who've had earthquakes and Mm. floods and all sorts of things batter them around the last few years. But um, I would think that most people, because it has such a surprising ending, um, that almost feels... That's the right ending. I would never have thought of it, but you did. um, And and there's little cues and clues all the way through, because I love clockwork plots, and and this was was fun. So I'm not really tricking the reader too much. No, you aren't. But it's a real, oh, wow, I didn't see that sort of coming, Mm. sort of ending, and I I love those. Yes. Um, Well, you've got that in spades, (laughs) (laughs) in the crate. And I think it's quite a good idea to put a ghost story Mm to tell people. Yes, yes. I, wa- I wanted that deliberately to, uh, to alert people yes, to the fact. Uh, well, if yeah, the cover doesn't. The cover <laughs> certainly does. <laughs> the, um, this G- must G- be Jenny, Jenny Cooper did the cover and did she did a, oh, a yes, lovely, it's lovely just, job. Yes. Look at those eyes mm. and she's in her white nightgown mm. and dark hair and um, <laughs> she looks really spooky. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she would seem real mm. um, to these mm. children because mm. once you're on that wavelength and strange things are happening. Hmm. I mean, the guy who brought the crate was strange to start with. And the whole height and weight thing of the crate. Yes. Mm. And then, then we have Jessie, who's one of the, uh, yes. the character girl, Skip, who, his mother, who's very new agey and very mystical and very, yes. very bizarre herself. Um, um, and I like the, see, she's into astrology and palm reading and all those sort of things. Yes. She's into the supernatural, but her, her father is actually a very practical man. Mm. He, he's actually a, the astronomer side of the astrology side. And, and yes, so it's we fun see, to explore yes, those two yes, elements it was. In, in the book. And then the Ambrose family were spiritualists and had yes, seances. That's uh, right. They, they, mm. they were off into, mm. into spiritualism. So there's wonderful characters. Yes. Uh, and I absolutely, anybody having this in their <laughs> Christmas stocking will be not doing anything else till they get to read it. Uh, <laughs> um, because the, I think um, young teenagers are going to absolutely eat it up. Mm. 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 So thank you for writing The Crate. It, as Gavin Bishop said, it will be an outstanding addition to the literature for children in Aotearoa, and I certainly agree with that. Mm. And uh, I, I uh, have to thank Gavin publicly here for uh, launching the book mm. uh, the other day. He did a, he did a wonderful job. But uh, part of the job he did was to read quite a long section of the very first scary moments in the, in, in, in the book. <laughs> you can never... <laughs> and he read it brilliantly, yes. I'm sure. It's by James Norcliffe, our, one of our most popular teenage writers, young people's writing, and uh, it's published by um, Quentin Wilson Publishing. Thanks very much, James. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Sylvia and the Birds, How the Bird Lady Saved Thousands of Birds and How You Can Too, is a delightful new book from writer Joanna Emony and illustrator Sarah Lang. Joanna I've talked to before about her wonderful poetry and Sarah I've talked to before too about her writing and her illustrating. Joanna, how did this book come about? Because the subject, Sylvia, is still alive and kicking, isn't she? 
Oh, she sure is. Uh, Sylvia is now 89. Um, she's absolutely a living legend and her story needed to be told. And at first I approached Sarah. Sarah and I have been friends for about 12 or 13 years. And I approached Sarah and said, oh, look, I have this book idea and, and maybe you just do a few drawings for me as a mate, you know. And when it became clear to both of us that just a couple of drawings wouldn't do and that we needed to tell the story together and be co-writers, um, that's when it really took off because uh, there was no way I could do this book without Sarah. Um, Sarah is just absolutely brilliant and we share a bit of a sense of humour in common and um, I think we share a kind of tender spot as well and so it soon became really clear that the only way to do this properly was to do it together and so Sarah is far more than an illustrator she's definitely a co-author and we wrote this book together. Yes it's so. a wonderful combination isn't it of, of text with photographs of, mm. of Sylvia throughout her interesting and challenging life mm. and then um, Sarah kicks in with her um, graphic um, how do you how do you describe well, it? We, we kind of call it comics. Really. Yeah, it is comics, um, isn't it? And and also there were a lot of other people we collaborated with. So um, I went hunting really for people whose photographs really. I don't know, made me stop and look and appreciate. So first of all, I looked at people who had taken photographs of Sylvia, whose style I really loved. So we had the lovely Todd Henry um, photo essay on Sylvia, and, and I used some of Todd Henry's photos. And then I went searching for the bird photographers, like our really famous Simon Runting, and he was so, so generous about the photos I could use for some of the activities, etc. And then I went on some Facebook pages and found amateur photographers I liked and they were so kind, people like Peter Cox who worked with me and would go out and take a picture of, for example um, a bird who was suffering from angel wing when they get fed too many carbs at a young age and they get this deformity where their their wings um, turn outwards and, and they get this deformity from, you know, people misguidedly feeding them bread, that sort of thing. I'd say, Peter, could you just take me um, a picture of one of those, please? Um, so it was such a team effort and I spotted um, Bevan Smith, who's a doc ranger and also an artist, a young artist, and he had these brilliant Instagram uh, pictures, which we've used as double page spreads, where you spot what type of wetland bird or pelagic bird or forest bird is in the picture. So th there's a whole lot of collaboration going on in this book, and I think that it shows young people what you can do when you cooperate with others. It sure does. And let's talk about Sylvia because she's, mm. as I say, had a remarkable and a challenging life. And oh, 80, she 89, really she's still devoted to birds and, and mm. the welfare and, and um, conservation of... So Sylvia's, Sylvia's life was incredibly hard. She grew up in the Depression era. She came from a very impoverished background, but also a background that exposed her to a lot of, I guess we could say, a lot of disappointment in being let down by adults. And so she was abandoned by her mother, as were her siblings, uh, when she was very, very young. And then 
having been left with her grandparents, who were supposed to be the caretakers of her and her siblings, she was then abandoned by them. They left her and her siblings at the train station, um, and Sarah has has depicted them uh, very poignantly with a little a little uh, pinned note on each of their lapels saying property of Stanley Mitchison, farmer of Matamata, hoping that the father would reclaim them when they were uh, let off at the other end. And of course, all of these crying children, um, uh, Sylvia and her two brothers, left at the train station aroused the attention of uh, the the policemen, and they were taken into care, um, made wards of the state, and then sent from foster home to foster home for the rest of their young lives. Um, It was difficult, and being a foster child at that time meant having two sets of clothes for the year, one for summer, one for winter. It meant doing lots of chores and remaining outside for most of the day because if you were in a foster home that already, when you arrived, had 10 children in it, it was a noisy place and and the carers, in inverted commas, wanted you outside unless it was pouring with rain. Um, So it was a difficult life for Sylvia. But she had superpowers. And she, she discovered them. Yes. Mm. Huge empathy. Huge empathy. Mm. And after, mm. yes, after training as a nurse, she married, had children. And it was really um, after she'd separated, divorced from her husband, back on having to fend for herself. Yes. It's where she took up taking care of penguins in particular, little hoi ho. That's right, and that's probably what she's most famous for in her immediate locality um, because um, I, like a number of people, would see her taking the penguins to be rehabilitated on the local beach, and she would take her dog Missy, and Missy is still with her. She would take Missy down to the local beach. Um, She would often have a companion um, who people knew as the penguin lady, and they would go down to the local beach um, with a number of these penguins often in a little cart pulled behind them and they would take them out onto the beach. Missy would guard them and make sure that they didn't go too far from the paddle pools and they would rehabilitate by having a little swim and a little kick around in the pools and get stronger. So that is what she was probably most, most known for. Yes, and and so you bring in um, another young person who um, becomes involved with Sylvia. There's mm-hmm. there's another sort of story there of Charlie, and yes. um, but it then becomes a more general book, doesn't it, about um, birds and what we need, what we can all do, especially children reading this book, yes. to yes. Um, to look out for birds and to. Um, you know, make sure that we we preserve our species and get rid of all those horrible rodents and stoats mm. and weasels and cats, dare I say it. That. That's right. <laughs> well, that's right because, you know, young people really have, they're much better at this than I think my generation because, I mean, uh, there's a photo on one of the final pages just before the photo credits of um, one of my friend's daughters and she's posing with a whole lot of rubbish um, on on a local beach. And the story behind the photo is that um, a bunch of friends and I go out regularly for a coffee and we sort of send the kids off, you know, here's $20, go to the dairy. And... um, 
on this occasion, we said to the kids, you know, off you go, go to the dairy, here's 20 bucks or whatever. And they came back and they showed us this photo. And it was one of the kids posing with all of the rubbish they'd picked up on the beach. They didn't bother with the dairy. They they just went down onto the beach and did a beach cleanup. And this is the sort of thing that young people today do. They have a much more of a an environmental consciousness and conscience than I think we ever did because they realised the situation is quite dire. And so there's little Sadie posing with all of the stuff they picked up instead of just doing what I would have done and, and got probably $20 worth of milk bottles. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but there's a really hopeful tone throughout this whole book, mm. uh, optimistic mm. and, and a celebratory tone in the book. And I think that's what's so needed, isn't it? For, for yeah. young people to feel like there is something they can do and that well, they that's can right. make and a Charlie, change. Charlie represents that because, I mean, um, Charlie as a young person worked for Sylvia and, and probably got some of her infectious spirit for the hopefulness. I mean, how did this woman save or, or um, look after 140,000 birds in the time that she picked up this this bug for birds? And, and that only would have been in her 50s. And now here's Charlie. And I mean, Charlie has been an absolute bird nut um, since day dot. And here's Charlie now aged 20, um, not only being an amazing artist, but, you know, going on this wonderful trip to Kure Atoll, working for sea cleaners, being an advocate for birds, going around to schools, talking to kids, making these wonderful T-shirts and selling them for bird charities. Uh, I mean... Charlie is just such a wonderful role model for any kid who wants to become involved and to make a difference. And so, I mean, and now, you know, you can follow Charlie on Instagram. Um, you know, it's one of those times in, in the world where these young heroes are accessible to us, you know. So yes, I think there are so many. Yes. A marvellous character. Oh, indeed. And they're a very good artist themselves, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brilliant artist. Yeah, so talented. Yeah, that's what I love about the book. Um, the story of Sylvia, of course, is heartwarming, mm. and she's mm. she's <laughs> she's a, 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 a huge person. Well, I'm sure she's quite a modest person, really. Mm. What does she What does she think of her book? Well, I think she was really delighted with it because it took two years. I mean, this has been such a project. It's taken two years to put together. And I think that when I first approached her and said, you know, um, can Sarah and I write this book and so on and so forth, I think from that time to finally having it in her hands and, you know, signing, signing books for people, I think that the reality of finally having the book in her hands and seeing herself as a as a sort of cartoon character, I think that it was kind of unreal for her. But the beauty of seeing her flick through the book and see her real photos there and the photos of her as a child and then the drawings and the cartoons of her and Missy, it was quite magic. And the most magic was the launch night because she was um, reunited with one of her old Wilson home charges who went on to get her own Queen's Medal just like Sylvia and she was reunited with Elaine Dow who was the brilliant revolutionary uh, matron in her 30s at Wilson Home who did so much for the children there and so it was a really special night over 130 people came to the launch <clears throat> all for 
this wonderful woman. And it was such a celebration of her life and achievements and what she represents, which is the fact that it doesn't matter if you have a hard start. Um, just resilience and depth of character can see you succeed and, and matter so much to so many people. Well, thank you for doing such a remarkable job, Joanna. You and Sarah have put together a very inspirational book. It's called Sylvia and the Birds, How the Bird Lady Saved Thousands of Birds and How You Can Too by Joanna Emony and Sarah Lang and published beautifully by Massey University Press. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.